It sounds kind of hokey, but to me, music has always been about friendship. You meet someone that likes the same music you like, which is great, but what's even better is when they introduce you to something that is totally new to you. We've all had that person in our lives that introduces us to new music. I had someone just like this in university. He would call me into his room and say, you gotta hear this new band. They're called Arcade Fire. You have to hear this new song. There's these guys called Block Party from the UK. I think you'd really like them. Today is another one of those days. Today, you're listening to Alligator by The National with my longtime friend, Colin J. Fleming. Colin, how's it going? It's going really well, Mike. I am unreasonably excited to talk about this album. And it feels like therapy in a way in that like, in any other kind of context, it would be super indulgent, but here it is actively encouraged and I'm so stoked. <laughs> I'm really excited. I'm, I'm, when, I, I, when I asked him to do it, I was like, well, I got to ask Colin to record an episode with me. You might not know this. You are the person that introduced me to Arcade Fire. You are the person that introduced me to Block Party. And I always remember that. Um, these little kind of moments in my life that I never forget. I always remember when people introduce me to new bands that I fall in love with. And I listened to this album for the first time about three hours ago. <laughs> so that's where we're at with, uh, with me and The National. I was like, okay, if he wants to do that album, I better, I better listen to it. I better get ready to talk to him about it. Because uh, I've only heard The Boxer and High Violet. Uh, that's my education when it comes to the national. So when you said this, I thought, great, I'm into it. I'm better to listen to this though. And knowing Colin, I'm going to enjoy it. And it's going to put me into a, in, in, in a certain place. It's going to hold me there. It's going to probably become an obsession. Uh, and in a year, I'll be saying, hey, have you heard? You're going to be like, yeah, of course I've heard that. I, I'm the one that told you to listen to it. So that's classic Colin for me. That is literally the nicest thing anyone <laughs> has ever said about me. My mother's very cruel. I'm just kidding. She, she's, she's lovely. Um, but I, and I can't believe I was the one who introduced you to Arcade Fire. That makes me feel so much cooler than I actually am. Um, it's, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm, I, I remember you having uh, I remember you having a copy of Funeral uh, when we were in residence together in university, and being like, "You got to listen to this. You got to hear these guys." And I just like the name stuck in my head. I was like, "Okay, I'll have to check them out." And then, like, I think a month later, I got around to actually listening uh, to the album, and it was like, "Holy shit!" And th the same thing with Block Party. You were like, "You got to hear this song, uh, this Modern Love," and then I got way into Block Party. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I think that is also like that's Block Party are a very university band to me as well. I just associate them with my time in university. Totally. And I think what's interesting both about like Arcade Fire and the National is that they could have easily been kind of these fleeting successes, part of that like rising indie rock wave, you know, in the mm -hmm. 2000s in the, in the aughts. But both of those bands like continued to grow. Um, I'd say artistically and commercially and like remain, you know, kind of mainstays of, of the mm -hmm. scene and like their mm -hmm. last albums. I mean, the last Arcade Fire album, I, I like more than most people, but, you know, they continue to be like 
both pretty influential bands. I was, um, I was now, into like it. <laughs> 15 years later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, when it comes to, so you picked Alligator and I'm, and I'm curious uh, as to why, because it would have been easy, I think, to pick uh, The Boxer or High Violet would have been, I think The Boxer is often, I think a lot of, one that a lot of people go to, but you picked Alligator. So I'm curious as to why. Maybe we'll get into it as we're listening, but if you want to just, you know, summarize maybe why, then we'll, and then we'll hit play and we'll go. So I'm going to, I'm going to give like the most pretentious answer possible. So for me, (laughs) Alligator is not their, is is not their best record, but it's like their okay okay computer. Like the album that established them as a real force, you know, in music. And and kind of brought them into the mainstream. But also like on a more personal level, Alligator was the first album that I really got into and it came into my life uh, at exactly the right time. So mm-hmm. for that reason, mm-hmm. even if it's not objectively like the best album, I think it's the album that had, uh, I mean, A, like was kind of the album that introduced the national to the world, even though they had uh, two albums before that. But I think for me, it was, you know, you know, a really personal album and, and kind of my introduction to the band. So that's, that's why I chose it. Okay. Well, I, I think we'll get right into it. And I'm just gonna, I, I'll just say, uh, producer's note, my apologies to any listeners. I've been saying the boxer and it's just boxer. So I'll throw that out there right now. It's not. It's cleaner boxer. that way. It's, it's cleaner that way. Boxer. <laughs> it's not to be confused with the like Simon and Garfunkel the boxer (laughs) so um okay we're gonna get right into it i'm gonna explain how this works for the listeners so uh each episode guest and i listen to and discuss one of our favorite albums in real time uh sometimes it may get a little technical sometimes historical and sometimes if not all the time personal and you at home can listen along all that you have to do is listen to the countdown and hit play on the album at the same time that you hear the beep and it'll be like you're listening to it with us. And we're going to have our own little listening party. We're going to hang out and listen to music together. So without further ado, Alligator by The National. Three, two, one. Okay. How's that better? Can you hear me? <laughs> I can hear you. It sounds great. Uh. So yeah, this is our second take. We had some technical issues, but it's fine. We're here. We're listening. And it brings me back, Mike. It brings me back. <laughs> um, what I wanted to say off the top was, I really like how this album starts. I like that it just crashes right into the beginning of the first song like that. It just kind of like, I don't know, popped out at me. When I hit play, I was, I was doing some driving around uh, today. This is um, a very drivable album. I'll say that. Very drivable album, very walkable <laughs> album, and a great headphones album, you know, musically mm-hmm. and lyrically. Musically, because it's so nuanced, but lyrically, because he's talking about, you know, secret meetings in the basement of his brain and, and that kind of ennui and existential malaise, I feel like always lends itself well to uh, yeah. headphone music. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, uh, yeah, I was, uh, yeah, I was doing some highway driving um, and I, 
something about listening to uh listening to a record on on a car stereo just kind of driving down down a highway with it just cranked and really kind of letting yourself absorb it um i really like it very very interesting musically right right now all the other instrumentation drops out and we just have drums for a couple of bars there and then these strange guitars doing these arpeggiating sort of notes but at different rates it's it's very different very very different and this is released in 2005 that's correct yeah my goodness um you don't have to get too into it but you said that it kind of hit you right at a particular time uh in 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 your life where you, it was sort of like sometimes this happens right with with an album or a band that you get into it it seems like you know you discover a band like i, I discovered joy division within months of going through my first bad breakup and it's like per I found the soundtrack for the next, you know, however many months of my life, right? Sometimes it just resonates with us personally for our own reasons. Sure, I think, you know, for me, it was kind of the the alienation of, of youth, to put it uh, as pompously as possible. And, yeah. you know, that kind of existential malaise that he not only articulates so well, but also has fun with. Like, I think he... Mm -hmm. He is clearly someone who feels deeply, who's like wrestling with these complex, you know, existential problems, but he's not above making fun of himself um, mm. or, or being funny about it. Uh, I was reading a review earlier on allmusic.com and it kind of, it was a positive review, four stars, but uh, they described it as literate self-absorption. Uh, <laughs> and I think I was a second year university student, so... Literate self-absorption was uh, very much my thing at the time. <laughs> Perfect. Um, yeah, so here's it, something I, I think interesting that we can also talk about. So we're in the second track. Uh, the second track's called Karen. Um, would you say when you listen to music, are you a pretty lyrics-focused uh, listener? I mean, that's a great question. And hearing you kind of talk, you know, about the technical aspects of the music, um, mm -hmm. you know, was, was so fascinating just because I just don't have the vocabulary, you know? I played clarinet badly in middle, middle school. Mm. Um, and when I wrote music reviews for our paper at Western, um, the Western Gazette, I would get stoned come to my back to my dorm room, listen to the album in darkness and try to come up with cool metaphors and similes to describe what I was um, thinking and feeling because I just didn't have the technical knowledge and the vocabulary to write about it. Um, nothing wrong other, with that, but there's nothing wrong way. with that. I mean, uh, you, no. you, because obviously like music still resonates with all of us for different reasons. Like, I mean, you want to talk about right. this, like what, like we're, I'm, I put this podcast out. Why does anybody care what I have to say about anything? But like, why not? I don't know. We all, we all love music and we all find our own way to sort of enjoy it, experience it and talk about it. 
Um, you know, so I don't think you need to have a, you need to play any instrument uh, to, to, to really, you know, like to really fall into like, whoa, what's, what's he doing with his guitar there? Those, or those right. drums are different. That's not usually how I hear drums on, like, when I hear most songs on the radio. That's different and cool and exciting. Um, right. Even think, if even we lack the the vocabulary to express, you know, technical knowledge to express what's happening, we can still appreciate it. But I, I was making that very long-winded point mm. to say that, like, you know, I, I was an English student. I'm a writer now. It's what I do for a living. Mm -hmm. So I could always connect the lyrics uh, on a deeper level. Right. Um, and I think, you know, lyrics have always been, you know, one of the strengths of the national. And I think it's interesting is that, you know, uh, the band is made of, of Matt Berninger, the Desner brothers, uh, and the Devendorf brothers. And the two pairs of brothers are both like very technically gifted uh, musicians. Um, Matt is not a musician. He doesn't have great range for his voice. So he relies, mm -hmm. you know, so heavily on the lyrics and delivering them in this kind of deadpan, sometimes exhausted, sometimes exasperated way. So it's just such an interesting blend. Um, yeah. And one of the reasons I've always kind of loved The National is that interesting blend. Um, and yeah, yeah. And the way he kind of brings like existential poetry uh, in this deadpan voice and how he's able to use like what is kind of a pretty limited tool, like his voice uh, in mm -hmm. such a beautiful and affecting way. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. It's so, you know, it's something I, I've, I've talked to other people about this is for, for me, I'm not sort of like a, like a, a lyrics first kind of music listener. Um, Sometimes a lyric jumps out to me and lock and I lock onto it and I think it's amazing. But a lot of the time I'm just following melody in someone's voice. Um and so when 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 these bands come around that are very, you know, like lyrically very as as you're putting it, getting into all kinds of like existential themes and stuff, I'm kind of like, oh are, oh, oh, I didn't oh my goodness, I didn't notice. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, yeah. Like I get kind of caught up in 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 so many other things. Um, you know, and it's it's just sort of the way that I've always listened to music. I've never fancied myself um, like a, like a, like a, a lyricist or a writer or anything. I've made very poor attempts uh, at, at it in the past. When I was in a band in university, I think we played one original song, and we were just kind of like, maybe we can just stick to some covers and have fun <laughs> and because yeah. I, I found it stressful i'm like i'm gonna i'm gonna say these words but everybody's gonna know that these words were words that i came up with <laughs> you know and all of a sudden it's just like but and what am i even i i don't i don't know if i have anything to say <laughs> um, and, and there's something weirdly intimate too especially when you're young and kind of yes to like you know to to yes. reach poetry to the world also yeah this song is it, i mean it's interesting because the first two numbers are great but they're pretty brooding and and, and somber and and lit up is the first kind of almost anthemic song you mm -hmm. know and it's still kind of dark and and morbid 
but there's some bravado and there's some swagger here. Like it's a, it's a banger. If you can call a national song a banger. <laughs> also, one yeah. more point is he's got this great line about, you know, bedroom kids who buy it um, for that reason. This idea that like this kind of anxiety that, you know, their music, their art is, you know, part of this like fleeting, you know, hot, you know, indie rock band of the moment. Mm. Um, although it seems like that anxiety was unfounded because here we are um, more than 15 years later talking about this album. Um, and and of course there was a re-release, huge success. Many, many other successes after, right? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. My goodness. Um, banger's the right word for it. This is pretty... I don't, from a music standpoint, it's, it, it all feels very uplifting, um, you know, and it's, everything's really popping. Totally. And, and I think what, what I, one sure of the things I love about this album. Sorry, go ahead. For sure. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, guys, this is, this is real time. This is what happens. Uh, <laughs> I think I just love the sequencing <laughs> of the album too, to, you know, how it, you know, how it moves from the brooding stuff to the more anthemic and then back here uh almost a gothic quality to this song and hmm. and i think a lot of this album is about you know uh matt Berninger's you know anxieties around love and intimacy with karen um who used to i believe uh, was the fiction editor at the new yorker um and her name is actually karen although it's spelled differently for the Karen on the album and uh, the second song is obviously better uh and this song apparently um I think Matt was you know I, I like how I'm referring to him as Matt as if we're friends you know like mm -hmm. how people call Denzel Washington D Denzel it's like he's not your friend um <laughs> except but, Dave Matthews is the was... one person who is everybody's friend I think we all agree <laughs> yeah. Dave is Dave <laughs> Dave is Dave to everyone and and uh, and as the you know people who know me know I am legitimately a Dave Matthews band fan. Not ironically, legitimately. Uh, unironically, um, car-carrying car member of the warehouse. My subscription has lapsed, but I think I'm going to oh, have to no. re -up. <laughs> I know, so, I know. So you were uh, saying- What kind of fan am I? <laughs> you were saying looking for astronauts. Uh, you were starting to talk about. So, sorry, look, look. <laughs> we went on a Dave Matthews Band tangent, and we will that, do Dave Matthews Band's album in the future. I guarantee. I think it. we should. I, I would actually. I would really enjoy that because that brings me for me that would bring me back to high school. It was. That's a whole. That there's a whole world to get into with that, but for another time. For another time. For another time. <laughs> now we're looking for astronauts. So. So I think, you know, Matt had this anxiety that like he, he loved Karen, um, but this notion that like, okay, there's, you know, billions of people on earth. How do I know that we are necessarily right for one another? Hmm. Um, you know, we love each other, we're compatible, et cetera, but like, you know, are, are we truly soulmates given like the almost infinite number of kind of romantic combinations possible? Mm -hmm. And she had a very kind of practical response to what is, potentially obnoxious and hurtful question, which is just like, you're, you're out looking, you know, for astronauts, for, 
for these kind of impossible sky high things. And, and I think she was trying to ground him and bring him back to earth, back to the relationship that was working. Um, but interesting how, you know, these like very real kind of romantic anxieties inform so much um, of the music on this album. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is like another tangent, but it, it reminds me of, of all things, the comedian Tim Minchin has a song all about uh, his relationship with his wife and love and the absurdity of the concept of a soulmate. Like, it's a love song to his wife that kind of mocks the idea that how could you really be the one person? I mean, you were the right person for me at the right time in my life and we're together and it's great, but you know, one person that statistically speaking, granted he's a comedian. He does it very well. But I think they both do, you know, comedians and, and musicians and artists you know, doing similar thing. Yeah, well, of, he's of, both. Of mining, you know, the details of their own life. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Um, yeah. Also, what do you, Mike, you're, I mean, you're a guitarist. Like what, what's happening with the guitar here? Me, Describe it for me. I'm going to turn this up here a little bit. It's a very like finger picking kind of, it, I, I would say very somber. Uh, that's, yeah, like finger picking acoustic over a piano. I love it. And, and, I, yeah. and I love, you know, like, I love what Matt does with his voice here too. And it reminds me of like uh, the first album, which was kind of like alt country, a little bit more in the vein of Wilco. Um, Hmm. And then after that, it was a pretty dramatic shift and they never really went back to that um, kind of country vibe or alt country vibe. But here I get a sense of that, you know, of pruning, longing voice. And it's just generally, this song is much more, uh acoustic driven it's an acoustic guitar an acoustic piano um we're not we're not patching electric guitars into a bunch of reverb and like echo effects to get these sort of like ringing uh sort of arpeggiating um uh like like lead over top of it like we've have had in maybe a couple of the other songs which was also kind of a pretty popular sort of tool um, I found at the time. Uh, it yeah. is like, I mean, you you mentioned OK Computer, but like uh, earlier, but like after OK Computer, we have like a bunch of bands that are just like, oh, okay, guitar with lots of reverb, lots of echo, and just like picking sort of arpeggiating notes can sound really fun and exciting and neat when layered with a bunch of other instruments. And then you get like Coldplay, right? Right. (laughs) Which I would say at this time in in my life, like 2004, 2005, Coldplay were a very big deal to me. Uh, When I was in university, I was playing Coldplay songs in a band and stuff, you know, like, yeah, I remember. I remember first hearing Coldplay in high school, and, and they were this cool kind of like new, what felt like at least to high school me like an underground sensation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then two years what, later, they were like they were like U two basically. <laughs> yeah, and and I and I kind of love how you know you know 
you had that kind of wall of sound production approach before, whereas Daughters of the Soho Riots feel so restrained in comparison. You know, it's it's a nice breather, a nice kind of minimalist approach uh, after well, something so forthful. Something that I'm really finding uh, re recording with people and listening to albums in their entirety with people, which is, uh, I think something that we kind of don't do as much as listen to something start to finish is finding this real appreciation for the songs like this on an album that really are exactly that they act as a breather. They act, give us sort of a little, uh, our, our ears a little break, not to say that they're, slow or boring or not engaging they are but in a different way right and and, and this you know baby will be fine you know but yeah it's it's lyrically it's about kind of anxiety and and you feel mm -hmm. that anxiety like this really in in the music um so which is incredible, but also like, you know, to have like 45 minutes of that would be exhausting. It would be, um, it, yeah, it would be too much, right? And uh, you start to realize that, you know, bands are, are very aware of it, you know? Song, uh, the songs that make it onto an album and the order in which they make it onto an album are very deliberate, you know, from, for any band. I feel like I keep using the word deliberate on this show about everybody I talk about. I just keep using the word deliberate and it sounds so stupid, but like it's, it's, it's the truth. Like every piece that I've listened to so far on uh, the podcast, you can sort of tell it's been meticulously written, you know, these, yes. aren't, these aren't guys just jamming and going, okay, there's another record it. It, it's, it's, it's tedious. And to the point where Absolutely. I would think as a musician, you might even get, you might even get sick of it, right? You, like you feel bad for you. You put something together that you really like, and then you play it a thousand times until you feel happy with it enough to record it. And then you record it. And then you hop in a bus or whatever, and you drive all over the place, playing it again and again and again and again for people. And you only hope that you're still going to like it after that, right? So you're going to want to be pretty happy with putting something out there like, like before you go through that whole process, I would think. Yeah, everything about it is so deliberate and so refined. Um, and I think it, and this song, like so many others, mm. returns to those, you know, very kind of middle-class anxieties. He's talking about yeah. putting on Argyle sweater, putting on a smile. And even like Baby Will Be Fine, which in a different context would be kind of cliched. And I think here has, you know, a lot of emotional power. And mm -hmm. uh, the line, you know, I'll melt like a witch and scream, uh, you know, a fun kind of, Wizard of Oz reference, but also, which is kind of funny, but at the same time speaks to like, you know, deep problems, you know, with depression, with anxiety, and sounds like the relationship, mm -hmm. you know, and when he's so sorry for everything, it's, um, you know, is it about the relationship? Is it about things being beyond his control? Uh, 
and, and the repetition here, I think, is particularly powerful. At least it was for me back then, and it continues to be. Ooh, and it has this kind of wonky, weird kind of ending there. Yeah. Where, and there were Which strings coming in, and it's... That almost sounded like it was pluck, or, uh, plucking or strumming on... Uh, on one of the stringed instruments that came in, like a violin or something. I might be wrong. Interesting. And, and I, yeah, I feel like, and the use of strings, I think, like, only grows, like, with each national album. I think, mm. you know, the, the Paris of Brothers, because they're, you know, more experimental, you know, classically trained musicians, I think, you know, uh, they like some strings. They like to get fancy. Uh-huh. And it feels appropriate for their style, um, for for the way they operate as a band. It 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 works. It fits. It's not uh, it's not oh we're gonna put we're gonna put a quartet over this piece. It doesn't uh, be like because what like it doesn't feel uh, it doesn't feel self indulgent or anything like that. It 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 feels very. It just feels right. Yeah, yeah, that kind of experimentation mm. and instrumentation seems very much embedded within the Nationals' DNA. As much as brooding and, and misery. I think I remember reading an interview with Matt Berenager in which he said that the other bandmates referred to him as the Dark Lord um, <laughs> for his propensity for these kind of morose lyrics. I always, um, I mean, I, I, I hate to keep bringing up other bands, like, because this is what we're talking about today, but I, I'll always think about, uh, I'll always think about what Joy Division's bassist said when asked about Ian Curtis's lyrics, uh, you know, and, and did he think Ian was, uh, maybe, uh, was, was depressed or was going through something and he, he kind of went, huh, I never really listened to the words. Like, he just wasn't it's like i just i did my old thing in the corner over here and whatever uh you know and then it's like you know in retrospect you go back and you and you actually read the words and you're thinking oh my gosh uh, so to refer to him as a dark lord also the just his style of vocals also just sort of lends itself to I, I, I don't know if I could picture a voice like this singing Uptown Funk. It wouldn't work, you know? Uh, the words wouldn't feel right coming out of a voice like this. Yeah, I think if you've got like a very limited range and you kind of oscillate between deadpan, depressed, and like primal screams, mm. you got to be a good lyricist. Yeah, yeah. But it, but, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt to have a really tight band backing you up. Oh yeah, because you can tell also, they're quite tight. Their drummer's very. I, I find the drumming on this album very interesting. Um, like it's, it, they're they're just not. They're they're in a lot of like your like traditional like rock beat, you know, kind of things happening. There are these strange percussion kind of 
like lines, like almost like loops that he's put together that feel a little disjointed, but again, it all comes together. These different layers come together and just sort of all feel appropriate and work. For sure. Cause I mean, like if, if we think of, you know, the lyrics is coming from like a single character. I mean, that character is disjointed. So, mm. you know, the, the drums seem like a reflection of that. Right. Uh, he's also just very good. Like he is, you know, he's a good drummer. And mm. I think like, not that they reward that, but they, the drums are so central in the mix too. Mm-hmm. Even on a slow song like this, he finds a way to not just kind of go one, two, three, one, two, three. No, he's kind of moving around on the toms and doing just very, it's very different. It's, it's never the first thing you would play, right? If, if the guitarist goes, Hey, I got this little, little riff I'm working on, whatever we're hearing, it's not the first thing he played. You know, you can tell he kind of worked on it, right? Yeah. And, I'm still and talking about the drums specifically. No, I never want you to stop talking about the drums. And yeah, no, I, I love the kind <laughs> of the, these fills and, and the time <laughs> stuff here. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. Like it's, and I, I think like, you know, Brian continued to be inventive on the other albums and mm -hmm. the drums continue to be so prominent in, in the mix, I think because they're so inventive and, and interesting and such a, an important part of the DNA of each song. It's, it's not mm -hmm. the first thing that, you know, you mm -hmm. would think of. And I love the way the strings come in and they never feel excessive or ostentatious. They, they kind of add for to the mournfulness of, of the song, mm -hmm. which I love. Yeah. They're very complimentary. They don't, uh, they don't, they don't pull focus. <laughs> no, which they, and they can't, uh, in the wrong hands. This I think is one of the best known songs, um, so on the album. This I found interesting. So I'm driving in my car and I look at this, song, the title of this song, all the wine has just started. And I thought, oh, well, that sounds appropriate for the national. Like, I feel like the national I associate with red wine. I don't know. I don't know why. <laughs> well, I think Matt Berninger used to like have a bottle of wine on stage at every show that by the end of the show, he would have finished because even as they got more and more successful, played bigger and bigger shows, he continued to have performance anxiety. Mm. Um, so he genuinely loves wine. I what think I love about that this maybe Sorry, I heard ahead. him. I, I think I heard him mention that once in an interview. He said something about about uh, wine on stage, and I think that stuck with me. And, and that's why I think I associate with him with wine. <laughs> you rightly associate it, and. What I love about all the wine is like, you've had, you know, I guess almost 30 minutes of brooding, of misery, of ennui, 
And this song is just so full of almost like silly levels of bravado and swagger, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah. The lyrics, uh, you know, are kind of fun. And, and, you know, God is on my side. I'm the child bride. And I love the idea of a motorcade having to pass around this guy who before was just like brooding in his mind and, <laughs> you know, you know, ha- like having an existential meltdown when his girlfriend spilled a drink on him. And now he's like, you know, this godlike figure, uh, which is funny uh, after hearing all his, you know, fetching, to use a Yiddish term, in the previous songs. Yeah. It's fun. This is, you know, it's, it's, it's fun. one of rare fun tracks from the National. This is as fun as the National gets. I, I'm, I'm happy that, my, that what I was taking away from it uh, was, was exactly that. I was like, oh, this is fun. Because <laughs> like I said, yeah. listen, I listened to this album for the first time earlier this morning. And this is a and- track that very much jumped out at me. And, and, and before he's talking, you know, there, he's, he's expressing every single, like, anxiety about his relationships. And he sounds like the most terrible boyfriend. Um, but here, uh, he, he won't let the psychos around. Um, and saying, you know, nothing can touch us, my love. Um, mm. Which is, you know, a pretty radical 180. Uh, and it feels so cathartic after the, you know everything that came before. And speaking mm. of catharsis, we go from a pretty upbeat number to one of the, you know, one of the true anthems of this album, inspired by what else? The story of Cain and Abel. And there's, and there's yelling and screaming on this. <laughs> Again, fun drum beat. <laughs> Great anthemic drum beat. And yes, the screaming after all the misery that came before it is so purely cathartic and so great. And interesting that like the subsequent album, which is quieter, which is more restrained and has no mm. screaming. That was like one of the complaints of fans was we missed the screams. We like the screams, bring back the screams, which I think they did for the live shows, but uh, that's, there were no screams. That's uh... I find that very interesting because I think I've told you I I was introduced to them. I was introduced to them with, uh, through High Violet, and then I found the Boxer after. Um, I found Boxer after. I now own <laughs> I now own Boxer Live on vinyl. Record Store Day, I recommend it. Um, but. Uh, so to hear this song, I was like, "Oh, I didn't know the I didn't know the National had this in them." <laughs> yeah, they do, and I still feel like this song is a staple of live shows. This and, and Mr. November, probably. This Wait, Mr. November more so, but uh, I I like d- dare I say like I I I think I have found a National song I would dance to, right? <laughs> uh, in, in Able, right? Like. Like the, I don't know, I could see like I, I could see having a lot of fun 
uh, with this song being played at a live show. This is a this this song kind of feels like a party, you know. I don't know about lyrics. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know how often you're partying and screaming. My mind's not right. Um, but in this song, you can do both. You know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and and again, it's strange. Like the, the lyrics are dark. You know, his mind's gone loose inside the shell, but it's. Th- before it just felt like brooding, whereas here it feels like this great cathartic release, especially as it builds to this like climactic moment right here. Mm-hmm. And again, like this is this like as I said before, I'm not a very lyrics-driven listener, right? But I can like I just feel like there's a mood in this song that I don't know, makes me want to move around. Oh, for sure, especially you know. You know, the, the machine gun snare here. Hmm. And it's okay yeah. if we just sort of just listen sometimes too. <laughs> you know, like that's where I'm at right now. I'm kind of turning it up. Yeah. And hope you are at home. I hope you're dancing with Mike. Oh, well I just done. love the way the, the guitar rings out at the end, you know? Like, they've gone from art rockers to true rockers there. Right. And then back to something a little quieter, a little more minimalist, a little mournful with the geese of Beverly. And I found that sort of swell road. into the opening of this song. Interesting because... Huh. Because you have that sort of like, um, you know, like letting, letting that, uh, letting a destroyer guitar sort of ring out and the volume slowly drift down and then the volume drifting up and the kind of swelling up in, gosh, what instrument is that? A flute? Yeah. And there's like a cello? as well mm-hmm. and they're they're playing different oh so i like i'm i'm getting distracted by like uh by like the guitar work on the song right now (laughs) while we're talking i'm sort of like wait what (laughs) there's a lot going on yeah i always like um any it's come up i think in every in 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 every time i've recorded something with somebody like if if you've written a song that gets me really focusing on what's being played or how it's being played and inevitably makes me want to say, pick up a guitar and play. I think you've done something right. Like as a musician or as a writer, I think you've done something right. Right. I mean, this, not to go on too much of a tangent, but there's this whole, I mean, during the pandemic, this whole idea about the rise of ambient TV and TV shows that you just put on, 
in the background. But I think for me, mm. yeah, the true measure of great art or, or one of the, you know, true measures of great art is the degree to which it totally immerses you, you know, that you disappear into something. Um, and uh, this is one of those songs, Yeah, you know? You know, it's, I mean, so much, so much music is played that way, right? It's just playing in the background of our lives, even when you're working at home and you throw some music on in the background. And we even use that, that terminology. We say, oh, I put this on in the background, right? So it's nice to every once in a while put on an album or even just a song and just listen to it and put it in in the foreground and and it's only yeah when you can kind of bring your full attention to bear on it that you can appreciate yeah the full richness of it you know yeah i mean that and is a big music part and, of... and that sorry i i missed you there oh yeah and i just feel uh like this you know this album this song you know rewards that kind of attentive listening too yeah yeah and i mean there is something of it like part of the reason i kind of started this little this little project that i'm doing here with the podcast is to take the time to listen to some albums right to really just sort of listen through them and just talk about them with people um it seems so basic but I've been really enjoying it, you know? Well, I'm enjoying it too. And <laughs> enjoying revisiting this group, uh, great album. And these, this track and the, and the following, I think are both love letters to Brooklyn where the band relocated, uh, originally all from Cincinnati. Um, huh. But yeah, I think love letters to Brooklyn. This is so, I, I don't know about you, but I, I put a lot of albums into like uh, seasons and because of our weather right now, this is going to forever be a winter album to me. <laughs> like I have certain albums. I'm like, well, I'm, I, you know, Daft Punk's Random Access Memories. That's a summertime album. I'm not listening to that right now. It's too cold outside. The National, yeah. I'm We're like, definitely- it, it, it's cold outside. I, I should listen to The National. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's weird to, you know, if it's a beautiful, gorgeous, sunny day, you know, maybe, you know, chronic anxiety is not what you want to be blasting on your headphones, or maybe it is, you know, um, like Himes, you know, women in music part three, pretty recent album, great summer mm-hmm. album, mm-hmm. you know, Wilco summer teeth. That's, that's a summer album for me. I mean, they put summer in the title, right? So it better. Be. And Fleet Foxes, though, what what is that? Is that uh, what are we thinking? Fleet Foxes are they are they autumn? I feel like they're into the seasons, those guys. <laughs> you know what? I don't know if I know enough, enough Fleet Foxes. It may be so. It may this may be another one of those things. Colin's going to say this is the album you need to listen to. Off you go. I feel like, like, I feel like an annoying school teacher. Um, <laughs> I, no, I, I enjoy the homework. <laughs> yeah. 
I another and 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 so Spotify when I, when I was listening to this, it did this funny thing, you know, where when an album we're getting close to the end, we're on the second last track, City Middle, and Spotify will often do this thing where you get to the end of an album and then it just picks up on another track based on what you have been listening to and just goes into sort of a shuffle mode. And immediately I thought, was, uh, is this algorithm just based on Colin? What's going on here? Because it immediately started playing War on Drugs. <laughs> and I was just like, it, this Spotify is just pulling the Colin thing where it's just like, oh, you like that? Well, I think you'd really enjoy War on Drugs. You know, They're great. You should check them out. I think you in particular would really dig them. <laughs> So and, now that we don't live what? in the same I, I dorm left, room, I left the song Spotify on. Spotify does it. Yeah. <laughs> I left the song on. I was like, I'm leaving the song for Colin. I'm going to listen through this track, this seven and a half minute long track. And I got to tell you, I loved it. <laughs> I'm honored. So I don't know about you, but I'm getting sort of a wind down feel from this from this track it's like another sort of breather kind of uh like we were talking about with an earlier song just sort of like it gives our gives our ears a chance to kind of breathe and whatever but is that is that setting us up for something big at the end it is although i say this song also I mean, builds to this kind of moment uh, where he refers to Tennessee Williams' cat on a hot tin roof in which Hmm. Brick, the central character, is an alcoholic. Um, Like I believe Williams was. um, uh, A repressed gay man, like I think Tennessee Williams was for much of his life, Mm -hmm. who kind of seeks this peace in alcohol where he drinks and drinks until he hears what's called the click. uh, This moment of like alcohol induced tranquility but in the play he's lost the ability to find the click and i think you know this is this kind of powerful emotional moment in the song where he says like you know i'm like tennessee williams i wait for the click but it doesn't kick in uh wow. which in some ways is a culmination of of all of these anxieties which have been building um throughout this album um which is interesting god that's sad I'm just like that's I'm so sad now. And and it is and it is sad, but there is I feel like it goes from you know that sad moment into the final track, Mr. November, which is still a staple of their live shows, was written apparently about John Kerry's candidacy. Um and huh. it's just a triumphant anthem, especially after you know, the slower brooding numbers that came before it and particularly the middle, which preceded it directly. And I would think that there's no, uh, it's no mistake that they put this at the end, that they like knowing what they've put on the album so far that they know that they, they need to leave you with something a bit more, uh, I don't know if uplifting is the word I want to want to say or hopeful, but I mean musically at least. Totally, and it, and it doesn't feel like you know saccharine or disingenuous. Like 
we it's almost like you know max earned this moment of triumph the audience has earned this moment of triumph they've kind of come through the other side mm -hmm. um which which gives it a greater power hmm And again, like in all the wine, there's almost this like comical level of bravado too. Especially when he calls himself the Great White Hope. I, um, well, I was just about to say, and you said this was about John Kerry? I think it was written about yeah. Kerry's candidacy. And later they raised money for Barack Obama's campaign because November, you know. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, and they had Mr. November t-shirts with Obama's face on it. Um, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And also, I love, you know, I used to be carried in the arms of cheerleaders. I probably doubt that. I don't think Matt was the star football player. But I, I do love that image of, you know, this nostalgia for kind of high school triumph, which seems mm. uh, very long ago. It feels like but it's almost it, saying, like, I can, I can be this, right? Like, it's sort of... Wow. What's the lyric there? I miss her in November, I won't. Are we allowed to swear on this yes, podcast? Yes, of course. Like, of course. Uh, I won't fuck us over. That is what he was saying. Okay. Wow. I and thought that's what he I was think, saying, but I was like, but I have the volume a little lower so I can hear you. And I was like, wait a second. You were, you were correct. And I this is correct. a song I think they still play at their live shows to close it out. It's a huge crowd pleaser. And, you know, it makes sense they close out shows it makes sense why they close out the album with it it's just such a moment of triumph of catharsis and also brian's drums here are just so great very tight sounds exhausting It almost kind of falls apart into and hey just to a beautiful crisp clean finish that was so much fun we Mike. did it and um and just so you know spotify just put on arcade fire so i think that's a really appropriate <laughs> get given given again that it's you that arcade fire would pop up <laughs> after after you get me to listen to The National. I feel like we've come full circle on more than 15 years of friendship. <laughs> it's, it's a beautiful thing. And I'm like so flattered that you associate Arcade Fire's seminal album, Funeral, as morose as it is with me. Um, this has been a lot of fun, Mike. Thank you for having me. I'm already thinking about the next album I wanna talk about. Um, I've got a few.
I've got you. <laughs> I'm sure you do. I think that's that has pretty much been the way that I've left it with uh, almost everybody I think that I've had on has been like, this was a lot of fun. Um, I, I have more that we could talk about. You want Because I think that, you know, I think people like talking about music. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They do. I do, for sure. And <laughs> um, I can tell you this. And, my, my girlfriend doesn't want to hear me talk for 65 minutes about war and drugs lost in a dream. That's a nightmare to her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, well, I'm into it. And I could listen to you talk about, uh, about, about most things for 65 minutes. I, I really, I'm, I'm fine to just sit back and listen to sometimes I got, I, I like, I like learning about why people like what they like. I like being convinced that maybe something I wasn't necessarily into is maybe something I should be into. I, I love that too. I love to listen to, I love to learn and uh, yeah. Thank Well, and thank you for everyone to, to listen to us, go on and, and talk. Uh, excited to share this with people. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming and thank you so much for bringing the album. I really like it. Um, anywhere where people can find you online. Um, don't find me. I'm boring online, but listen uh-huh. to the versus podcast, which I produce with some of my colleagues at sick kids foundation. So sorry, it, it, your, your, uh, stuff went garbly. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I was just saying, I am boring online. Don't seek me out. It'll, I'm, I'm dull. But <laughs> do, do listen to the Sick Kids Versus podcast, which I produce. It's great. Uh, it's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. 100% listen to the Sick Kids Versus podcast. And uh, we definitely, definitely listen. <laughs> All right. Thanks, buddy. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Your listening to is brought to you in association with Wicked and Fun Co. Check out their weekly D&D podcast, Something Wicked, which I happen to edit. You can also watch their live stream on Twitch at Something5E. 5E is for the D&D fans out there. More of the gang from Something Wicked will be joining me on future episodes to chat about their favorite albums. You can also find the show on Instagram and Twitter at Listening2Pod. So feel free to reach out, and if you like the show, take a minute to rate and review it on iTunes. I'm I'm told it helps. Thanks for listening.